Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hi there. We're glad to be back with you today. We are going to be talking about something that everybody is involved with if you, because you have parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, and that is our heritage and the great things that they have done for us. And this is the week, of course, that in our particular culture we are celebrating a very important holiday, the 24th of July, marking the day that the the first Mormon pioneers entered the Salt Lake Valley. And uh, that causes us to think a lot about our heritage and about how much we owe to our ancestors and about, frankly, how how relevant our ancestors are to our children, the connection of the limbs and the branches, if you will. And so, you know, whether that's your particular heritage or not, we'd invite you during this radio show today to focus on your heritage and to think along with us as we talk about some things that we, we see them as kind of connectors between our the two ends of our families, if you will. When you think of family, it's kind of lovely to think of it as a spectrum, as a, as a continuum. And, and we all came from families. We are all part of families. We all have heritage. Some of us have some heritage we may wish we didn't have. It's not all good back there. There, <laughs> yeah. might, there may be horse thieves in our ancestry, but the point is none of us came from nowhere, and our children have that same heritage, and sometimes connecting the past and the future is a very important part of parenting. In fact, you know, when you think about it, if you find somebody in your past that wasn't the best example, I think that's sometimes helpful. Like, I am never going to be like that. We just heard a little talk last Sunday at church and uh, about a guy who went back and found out that his great-great-grandfather had just been offended by somebody and, and became a grumpy old man. And he said, you know what? That is exactly what I don't want to be. I am going to be different and do different because I see what that did to his line down through. And I, I think no matter what, we have to appreciate our ancestors. I especially have had a fun time with that this week because we um, – when we're up at Bear Lake doing a reunion every summer, that's the only time I have all my grandchildren together. So I take my little kids in clumps, in little groups, out on what we call Grammy Camp. And one part of Grammy Camp is always talking about ancestors. And we, I, this is where I was born and raised, up in Bear Lake, Idaho, so we go to the cemetery where everyone, all of my parents, grandparents, and so on, are buried. And we talk about them. I give them little rewards for remembering stories about them and so on. And it's so fun to see them. Oh, that's a little bit of me. Oh, yeah, maybe that's why I am the way I am. It's just so fun to see kids really incorporate what they know about their ancestors and think, I'm a little bit like that. You know, we all, we all know that one thing our children desperately need, and, and experts will tell you that, kids need it even worse today than ever before and that's a sense of identity a sense of belonging to something larger than themselves and and a lot of sociologists say that in today's world where we're so fast-paced and where changes occur so often and people move so often and friendships change and so on they say more than ever we need that sense of identity that sense of belonging that sense of 
who I really am. And I think, I think Linda, the time that I first realized how profound that is with children, uh, it, was, it was several years ago, and we had created a, uh, a lot of families have done this. We're certainly not the first, but we'd created a kind of a, a family tree. In fact, Linda, you'd actually painted it. It was a on an oil canvas, and it was a tree, a beautiful tree. I think you're a great painter. <laughs> Actually, it was really it, pretty ugly looking back well, on Well, I thought it was a great tree, but, but Linda had <laughs> done a limb for each of our children, and then where the roots came down, she had painted it so that there was a trunk, and on that trunk was a picture of Linda and I, and then on the... Uh, then the roots went into four immediately below the ground. You could see them on the painting. And there was a picture of each of their four grandparents. And then they each split again, and there were eight more pictures, and they were each of our children's eight great-grandparents. Then, as you can guess, they split again, and there were 16. And the final roots, there were 32, representing our children's great, 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 Great grand no great great great, great. grandparents, and and we managed and it wasn't hard and we were lucky not all families could do this we managed to find a little blurry photo of every one of them some of them weren't very good photos some this is some of them were back in the early days of photography but honey but honey um, I think you forgot <laughs> Am I we, getting o- carried away? we only went to sixteen <laughs> was sixteen <laughs> the furthest 16. one down yes. Okay, I that's know there's right. Not that's 32 right. pictures that can fit on there, so. there were 35 on there, but that included us and the other ones. Right. Above. That's okay. So the last row was 16. But here's here's what I was getting to. Is I went in and we and we had a little story we would try to tell them about at least their great grandparents, so they'd sort of know them and know where they lived and who they were. And you know, it'd be a little story about Grandpa Dean and how honest he was when he wrecked his dad's car, or some some little thing, but true, a true thing from a journal or whatever. And I'll never forget one night seeing one of our daughters standing by this little tree and her little finger tracing down. And here she was, and here were her parents on the trunk, and here was a grandparent, and here was a great parent grandparent and she was pointing at that and she was learning fractions in school and bless her little heart she was saying I'm one-eighth from her pointing at this great-grandmother and I thought wow if a little kid can understand that she's one-eighth from that great-grandparent that's an identity it certainly is and also they can remember stories, and the more poignant the stories, the more they remember. I have a grandmother who came from Denmark who had six children, lost the oldest before they left, a little 12-year-old, then got on a boat in Liverpool along with all those immigrants, and somebody on the boat got on with measles, which they were unaware of, and one by one those little children started dying and being buried at sea. So four little children. Oh, it's just heart-wrenching, a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, three-year-old. We, we actually acted it out, and they took their names, and they jumped off into the water. You know, we had a little play about it, so they remembered it. And then, finally, the last one died just as they sighted New York, and they carried him on to land and buried him somewhere there. We have no idea where. And so they ended up with one child, and she walked all the way across the plains, pregnant. And, I mean, the story just goes on and on. Her and husband And that one child her. is the reason these grandkids are here. He, that's right. And... And they just, they remembered that because it was, I mean, they did this little play. They, they, and so when we were at the um, 
cemetery the other day. The sprinklers were on right on Grandma Elizabeth's grave, but they knew right exactly who she was when I pointed that. That's the grandma that lost all those little children while they were screaming and squealing trying to get away from the sprinklers (laughs) that was up the cemetery. But it really is so fun to have these planted in their mind. Like, you know, if she can survive that, I can survive anything. So I think so. I think you see where we're going with this. That it's not, you know, some of us think of genealogy and we think of um, sort of dry numbers or you know people on a chart or names on a on a pedigree or something. We don't realize that that to our children the thing that can make genealogy real is these stories, and and most people today with a little effort and with maybe a little research and maybe a few phone calls to people who remember things that they don't, you can usually come up with a maybe one pretty good little story about each of your children's grandparents, great-grandparents, and maybe even great-great-grandparents. And those little stories, I'll make you a promise, if you put some effort into it, those will become your children's favorite bedtime stories, especially if you illustrate it with some kind of a family tree or some way that they can see that their very genes, their very capacities, their very gifts came from these ancestors. And they can also begin to see that those ancestors sacrificed a lot for them, that their lives were much, much more difficult than our lives today. And that's the beginning of a kind of an awakening that can happen in little children where they're sort of more aware of who they are and more grateful for when they live and how they're able to live because of these ancestors. But you know what, Richard? I think what really, really solidified it for our grand, our own children was when we had our ancestor book. We had a book that was leather-bound, and we had these stories written in it. But we had the kids illustrate the stories so that that really, I mean, we still, when I close my eyes, I can still see all those little people that they drew on that boat going across the ocean. And, uh, you know, the different things that they illustrated are in their minds forever because they illustrated it. They have some ownership in this story. And and they love doing that when they're little. I don't know if you get a 16-year-old to draw a picture of that, but maybe. You never know. Well, I think with older kids, it's... uh you know, if you ever have the opportunity to actually visit a place, I mean, maybe maybe in the next state or maybe when you can take a child and say, you know, this is where your grandfather lived when he was an engineer on the railroad or whatever. I think that's sort of, I mean, you can. the point is you can combine it with an outing. You can make it interesting for kids. And, and some would say, well, what, why would I want to do that? Who cares? I mean, I'm more interested in the future. I'm more interested in the lives my children live than in the lives that the ancestors lived. Well, again, what we're trying to say to you today is that there is a connection and that that sort of identity tying kids to the memories, the stories, even the places that their ancestors lived is a pretty neat thing to do. And Forgive us for belaboring the point, but but this is a special week for our own heritage, and uh, a lot of you who are listening have have maybe gone on a pioneer trek, or you've you've maybe gone to a place where covered wagons actually rolled through, and you've tried to explain to your children what a what a remarkable thing that was, and how their life 
is completely different than it would have been had not this ancestor had the courage or the conviction or whatever, the combination of the two, to uproot himself from some relatively comfortable place and start a whole new life because of his beliefs or because of his economics or whatever the reason was. You know, I, th- I think we need to once again mention how though important it is to make the stories exciting, interesting, and, and something the kids will remember. I, five years ago, I did my little Grammy Camp Kids, and we talked about my grandfather, who was named Frederick, but they called him Freddie. And just some little phrase that stuck in their mind was he worked on this big old combine that was just old-fashioned. I mean, this is in the late 1800s. And he said um, they would get in the back and get in the front, and then somebody would yell, Ready, Freddy? And then the rest of them would say, Ready. And then they'd roll. And so it was Ready, Freddy, Ready all the rest of that day. And every one of those kids, and day before yesterday when I took them over to the cemetery, knew Freddy just because they remembered, they remembered that, that little phrase. phrase. That, that's, yeah, make it memorable, make it exciting. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion about heritage, about the gratitude we can instill in our children for where they came from and who they came from. Back in a minute. Hi, we're back. And we're talking about the 24th of July. And if you're not from Utah, you probably don't know what that means. But boy, to us, that is a big holiday. It has been since we were little kids. Um, we have kids who now live in Boston and New York and Phoenix and uh, all over creation, Washington. And they say, what is up with this holiday? I mean, they kind of forget that it's even a holiday on the 24th because nobody else is celebrating this. But it's such a good idea to celebrate our ancestors. Well, they know that it marks the time the pioneers entered the Salt Lake Valley. And, well, during the break we were talking to the engineer, and he was saying he associates the 24th of July with uh, hamburgers and wrinkly potato chips and Kool-Aid and And fireworks. fireworks and parades and all that good stuff. And sometimes our little kids don't even know why we're shooting off those fireworks. You know, they just think it's awesome. So it's pretty good to have a time when we think of ancestors. And whatever your heritage is, if you have a different one than ours, it's a good thing to think about it once a year or whenever an anniversary comes around. But in the context of today, we're talking about thinking of ancestors and heritage as, believe it or not, a parenting method because we've found that nothing is more powerful in teaching children certain values than to have a story about their own grandfather and a time he had to step up and be honest or their own great-grandmother and the time she had to work very, very hard and save for a very, very long time to get something that she wanted. And when you tell a story about an ancestor and when a child understands that that really is their flesh and blood, the story means more. It has more power. It has more relevance even to a small child. Absolutely. I just think that it really makes a difference knowing where we're coming from. We can't really know where we're going until we know where we came from. And, you know, we speak to audiences all over the world, including, you know, Malaysia and um, Indonesia and 
They Everywhere. They have their own heritage. They, they have their own heritage, and as soon as they hear this idea, they go, oh, yes, we need to do that. We have to let our children know who they are. In fact, speaking of on the road, uh, Linda and I were in uh, just a month or so ago. We were in Ireland. Has it been more than a month now, Linda? It's oh, yeah, a couple months, months I guess. Yeah. We were in Ireland giving a speech, and we... Um, we started out in Dublin, but we, we, we went over to uh, Galway, which is on the west coast of Ireland, and we, we, we managed to stay in a castle called the Ashford Castle. And it's a real castle. I mean, it was a gorgeous place. And one reason we wanted to stay there is that there were 150 years early in that castle's history in the 15th century when it was called the Bingham Castle, and it was... The, the master of the manor and the castle was a was a Lord Bingham, and the reason that was interesting to us is that uh, our grandfather's, our grandmother on my father's side was a Bingham, and we wanted to look into that a little bit and see if we could clarify whether indeed the Binghams that were in that castle were distant ancestors of ours. Turned out we couldn't clarify it with certainty but a lot of people said well basically all the binghams that came out of england originated with this royal line that at one time had this castle so anyway we were over there taking pictures and imagining ourselves and then and and i think in the back of our minds linda was bringing these these homes showing them to our children and to their children and saying hey guess what we used to have a castle in the family. <laughs> yeah, like they went, oh, yes, let's go back. I <laughs> let's mean, go claim it. <laughs> no kidding. Um, I mean, it's hard to know, but, you know, just to know the names that you came through is important. And and there are sometimes when you are connected to people that are that you recognize. And, and I think you got to finish this Bingham story by telling our Bingham story. Well, we know. We, yes, you get the interesting thing about ancestors is the closer you get to the present, the more certain you can be of some of the stories. And we have a journal of, um, of one Erastus Bingham, who is the grandfather of my grandmother. And uh, in that journal, there's a very interesting account of, of them, of the Bingham family, making a claim, essentially staking out a claim in the Salt Lake Valley, and and it was a canyon essentially that they they sort of homesteaded and so they named it Bingham Canyon. Some of you are going to guess the end of this story already just from that. And and after a generation or so there, young Erastus finds a a he knows a little about metallurgy and he finds some rocks that clearly have copper ore in them. And guess what he does? He takes it to Brigham Young and he says. I guess he called him President Young. I hope he did. President Young, we have discovered an ore, a rock that seems to have copper in it on our on our land, on our claim, and we we're thinking about not being sheep farmers anymore and uh, turning into miners. And guess what Brigham Young said <laughs> to Erastus Bingham? He said, "Leave it in the ground, brother Bingham. You'll be a happier man." Oh, man, a lot of our kids are sad about that advice. <laughs> so the, the end of the story is simply that they remained sheep farmers and uh, remained poor and uh, 
passed on a marvelous heritage to the rest of us, but not a lot of money. And uh, eventually that became the largest open pit copper mine in the world. But, but you see, I mean, that's not what's important. What's important is that we're interested in that. We're interested in the experiences those ancestors had, and we're interested that they followed who they perceived to be a prophet, followed his advice, and that it's turned out fine for them. And so now let me hasten to add, Linda, that not all ancestor stories are that spectacular or that sort of dramatic. A lot of ancestors' stories are very simple things. Uh, someone that had to walk two miles to school in the snow, uphill both ways, or whatever. Yeah, right. That's true. But I think it's so important to keep alive in our grandchildren's um, minds, in our children as well, of people that have passed on that they'll never know until they get to heaven. And it really is so fun to remember that. I was just telling the kids a story yesterday about my mother, who was just about the pizzazziest lady you would ever want to meet. I mean, she was dynamite. And uh, when she was... 80 years old, she was still playing volleyball, and she was out there just banging that volleyball. She was an athlete from the word go, and she just, they were, I mean, it was tied, and they were, it was just at the end of the game, and this ball comes over, and she hits it as hard as she can, and her wig flies off. (laughs) And uh, that wig, she, and you'd think she'd be embarrassed. No, 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 just when it was on the other side, she grabbed that and put it up on the pole so it wouldn't be in the way, and just kept on going, and they won. And I just think that is fun for our kids. We have a lot of kids that are athletic and competitive and so on, and and it's just good for them to remember those kind of stories so that these people come alive. They'll never, never, ever see her, and I'm sad about that, but if we can keep these memories alive, I think it's good for our kids and our grandkids. Well, and again, it's back to that image, that identity, that larger-than-life sort of presence that makes a child feel like he's connected and he has... He has roots. I mean, that's a kind of a cliche to use, but, you know, the old saying that first you give a child roots and then they can develop wings, and I think there's really a lot of truth to that. Now, Linda said earlier before the break, and, again, we're not trying to hold ourselves up as some great example. We kind of fell into this, but we're passing it on to you because, you know, I mean, that's going to be our pattern on this radio show. We're not going to tell you about all our failures. We'll tell you about some of them. But we will tell you about things that happened to work pretty well. And one of them was this ancestor book where, you know, we found the kids had such an interest in these little stories. We'd tell them about Grandpa Dan or about, you know, Grandma Elizabeth or whatever that we started writing them down. And we did get a big book, as Linda had mentioned earlier. It was a big leather-bound book. We were living in England at the time. And and uh, something about the size and heft of that book, and we wrote on the front of it, The Ancestor Book. And it was it was sort of, it had a sort of a majesty about it. And, and we'd say, what, what uh, you know, what uh, story do you want tonight? And inevitably, the kids would say, we want an ancestor story. And and written in simple language in this big old book were these little stories. And like Linda mentioned, the kids had illustrated them. And uh, I'm just going to tell you one more to give you an idea of the kind of silly little stories that ended up in there. And frankly, this one might be a little controversial because in a way it sounds kind of gruesome. This is the story of Grandpa Dan. And he lived in Sweden, and his family was very, very poor. The Mormon missionaries had come and taught them the gospel. They had left their 
the Lutheran Church, joined the Mormon Church, and were persecuted for it, and that added to their poverty. And uh, they simply couldn't feed all the mouths they had in that family. And one of the mouths was a cat. And the and the grandfather said to little Dan, who was a young boy, "You're going to have to go take this cat, and you're going to have to get rid of him. You're going to." put him in a bag and tie a rock on it and throw it off the bridge. And, of course, little Dan, heartbroken, couldn't understand, and the dad explained that that's more humane than letting this cat starve to death. So little heavy-hearted Dan carries the cat to the bridge in a bag with a rock tied to it, throws it in, and cries all the way home to the house where he finds the cat sitting on the porch and licking the wet off of his paws. Somehow Houdini-like, he had escaped the bag. The, the, the father sees what's happened and says, you know, if you've got a cat that smart, we better work a little harder and find some food and feed that cat. And the kids love that story mainly because it really happened. And they're trying to imagine a little boy so poor that they didn't have enough food to feed a cat. And then they're looking at this picture of this man who was that little boy and saying, that's my great-grandpa. And he had to undergo a lot to get to America, and he's the reason I'm here. And it's a wonderful thing. It really is quite amazing. Now, if you're thinking, oh, man, I'd like to know that, but I don't know how to do that, we're going to send you to a site where you can find your own ancestors in a blink. And I have to tell you that this is set up by the Mormon Church, but it's a lot easier to use if you're not a member. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to put in all these identification numbers. You don't have numbers. to do anything. I mean, I fake being not a member just to get in. I, I don't know if I should say that on the radio, but actually it really is so fun because you go to FamilySearch.org, or newfamilysearch.org, new fam- new family search dot org, new, either one. New.familysearch.org. You can go to um, lds.org and you can get to it too. But if you go to new, uh, family search, actually, I just went to it and it says familysearch.org. Oh, I think they go. might have changed it. So it just asks you to enter your names and the dates and you can find your ancestors so far back. We have had so many people in our travels that are fascinated with this. We, when we start talking about ancestry and so on, I said, you can do this so easily. Just go online and figure this out. We were just talking to a Jewish man a couple of months ago and he was over the moon because he had come to a dead end in trying to find his family members. Now, we should hasten to add that you won't get the kind of stories in the in the in the you'll get the dates you'll get uh, where they lived you'll learn a lot about them but you you won't get the stories until you start asking your oldest aunt or your oldest uncle or do you remember anything about uh, grandpa or did he have a journal and you know sometimes you come across real treasures but the purpose of this show is not to teach you how to be a genealogist or or even to sort of um, guilt trip you into doing more work on research. The purpose of this show is to say there is a remarkable connection between the past and the, and the future, and to try to do all you can to help your children feel the heritage that they have. Now, if you have an ethnic heritage, if you, of course, we all do, we're all ethnic in some way, 
And if you can tell them more about the land of their heritage, about the country that their ancestors on your mother's side or on his father's side or whatever it came from. Or or the food of their your heritage, the things they love to eat, the things they love to do, the clothing they wore, the Christmas traditions. There's so many fun things that you can do to bring this to life for your kids. So we, we suggest it, we, we endorse it, we think it's a marvelous kind of a parenting message. I think as we close today's show, we want to just pull back again and say that uh, the whole idea of On the Road with the Ayers is simply that we're, we're not some fascinating experts with all the answers, but we are, we are people who travel around the globe a lot meeting with parents. And what we're finding day after day and country after country is that parents everywhere are pretty much the same when it comes to their children. We'll be sharing with you lessons we've learned from parents around the world. So we hope to hear you and see you talk to you next week.